Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Yeah, so a little bit of a recap in case you missed the previous episode. We'll be linked in the show notes, but we talked about am I overeating? We talked about binge eating, scavenger eating, and binge eating disorder. So, And one of the things that we mentioned was a lot of people who think they are binge eating are actually overeating. And a lot of people who are overeating or identify as overeating are actually binge eating or scavenger eating. So it's really just to give you a little bit of a check-in, say, hey, this is something that might be going on and giving you more of an in-depth explanation of what might be happening here? You know, what might be the root of this? And then in this episode, we're going to be giving you, P.S., sorry for the cliffhanger last week if you're listening to this when it comes out. But this is where we're going to give you all of the, or a lot of the practical tips on, okay, I've identified that this is kind of where I am on the spectrum sometimes, um, or, you know, a lot of the time. And then what can I do to kind of get out of that cycle or start to get out of it? Yeah. And some of these recommendations, I would say almost all of these recommendations are things that Dana and I do with our one-on-one clients. So these are really practical tools to kind of help you dive deeper into this and then kind of in some ways, for lack of a better word, claw your way out. So I think let's get into it and we'll start with kind of like the first one. And the first thing that we really want you guys to understand is where you land on that on that spectrum that we talked about last week. And understanding that and also approaching it without judgment. So being able to look at your patterns and see where you fall on that and then get really curious with yourself and say, what is my body trying to tell me? Where do I fall on this? And then again, what tools or resources do I need to pull in? And we're going to get into that as we go through this, but we always will recommend, and we recommended last week, working with someone, working with someone, and working with someone can be really helpful for you, especially if you're having a hard time identifying your pattern, um, but you know that you fall somewhere in this in this spectrum, but you're having a hard time saying, well, where is it? Because there are a lot of grades that can be complicated. So understanding that and being able to say without judgment and with a lot of compassion, um, where do I think that I fall and where can I gather support and resources in order to get there? And then how can I approach this with a curiosity mindset, not a judgmental one? Right. So that's kind of even before we get started into the practical tools, right? And then um, this second one that we want to talk about is a little bit of a disclaimer slash a set the scene and also a practical tool all in one. Um, So you have probably heard if you're in this space of how do I heal my relationship with food and my body, especially if you're, um, you know, following a lot of people who do intuitive eating and, you know, stuff like that. And one of the things that they will say is, um, you know, just follow your hunger and fullness cues or learn to recognize your hunger and fullness cues. And 
we are proponents of that. But at the same time, one of the things that we like to talk about on this podcast and also with our clients and on social media and everything is it's a lot more nuanced than that. You can't just as you will see a lot of the time on social media, you can't just listen to your body and everything will fall into place. For a lot of people who are in this place of whether you're a chronic dieter, yo-yo dieter, you've been following elimination diets, you've got chronic health conditions or symptoms, or you've had disordered eating or eating disorder in the past, it's not as simple as just, oh, I'm just going to listen to my body and everything's going to be fine. And there's a lot of different reasons for that and one of those is because and this is more on the you know chronic dieting piece that you know perspective of it is most of the time we've been so conditioned to ignore our hunger cues that we don't even know what they feel like anymore and asking someone oh are you hungry they have no idea how to answer that question or what does it feel like when you start to get hungry before you're so ravenous that you feel like you might pass out For a lot of people, there is nothing before that. And the only way that they know that they're hungry is if they feel like they're so faint that they might pass out. And we've also been told that giving yourself or allowing yourself to get to the point of, oh my gosh, I'm really hungry before I eat is actually a good thing because hunger is somehow associated with weight loss, right? So our idea of hunger has been manipulated because we think control or being in control or having more willpower is so morally superior that if we can control when we are eating and control the amount of food that we are intaking that we'll be able to control our appearance and the way that other people see us in the world so um it's a lot more complicated than just listen to your (laughs) hunger and fullness cues (laughs) yeah absolutely and to be perfectly honest too i think again if you if you haven't listened to last week pause listen to last week's episode we'll and then be come here back to this back. one. We'll be here. Yeah. And because the reason why is because again, the same kind of concept around the idea of overeating kind of falls into here when it comes to hunger and how our hunger has been manipulated. Our perception of what it feels like to be hungry is changed and altered. And in a lot of ways, um, the mechanisms at play have been suppressed for so long and ignored for so long that we don't even know what it feels like. And you can see the difference between a child, the way that a child naturally eats, like a young child versus an adult, right? Um, And yourself, and I think that's a really great way of like a child naturally knows like, hey, I'm hungry, I want to eat. And they start showing signs. Um, I had an H in there for whatever reason, but they start showing those signs of it. And we don't have that because we've turned them off for so long because it's been manipulated. Our perception of what it feels like to be hungry is has been altered so deeply that the mechanisms at play have turned off in some ways or been so deeply suppressed that we don't hear them anymore. And so a lot of times people will come to us or I'm sure you can recognize this yourself, they don't know what it feels like to feel really hungry until they're faint until they're dizzy, until they're really tired and they're like, what's happening? Oh yeah, it's three o'clock and I haven't eaten anything yet today. Um, So that has been deeply manipulated on so many different levels. And the same thing too, like on the flip side, the idea of fullness is considered to be bad. If you're full, that's a bad thing. That means that you've quote unquote eaten too much. So we get scared even when we start to feel slightly satiated, 
that we think, oh my gosh, I need to stop now. I've eaten too much. This is too much. So our idea of fullness has equally been manipulated and skewed, and the mechanisms, again, have been suppressed and kind of turned off. And so I think it's really important just to not just take what we see on social media, just listen to your body. I mean, honestly, whatever the hell that means, <laughs> you know, like we have to retrain ourselves to hear what our body's doing and what the language of our body is. And also to retrain and return on the natural mechanisms that are there so that we can actually hear it. But if it started off with just listen to your body, um, a lot of people who practice a lot of food suppression um, would just continue suppressing and say, well, I'm not hungry until this point. So, or they would continue doing what they're doing. So it's so important to kind of understand that more. Yeah. And so to give you an example or to clarify this a little bit, right? We do agree that learning to listen to your body is a big part of this process, but for us, it's more of something to work towards rather than like a square one type thing because most people are not at that place where it's like, oh yeah, tomorrow I'm going to start listening to my body. You know, diet starts Monday. Actually, I'm going to start listening to my body on Monday. That's not feasible for most people. To give an example, I had a client a couple of weeks ago who was saying to me, you know, I really, one of the rules that I had followed in the past is I really try to only eat to 80% fullness. Most people have heard this before, right? And so if, if you are a person who has had a chronic dieting history, disordered eating, eating disorder, chronic illness, you know, any of this where your hunger and fullness cues are kind of skewed, let's say, then how, what, what is 80% fullness, right? If you have been suppressing your hunger and suppressing the amount of food that you've been eating for such a long time, your 80% is probably somebody else's like 10% or 20%, right? And we're never going to, you know, the goal is never to compare between people, right? But just to give you a perspective, your 80% could be way less for somebody else and way more for someone if they've been, you know, suppressing their hunger. So using that, you know, 80% fullness rule might be appropriate for someone who has a more harmonious relationship with food and doesn't want to feel excessively full all the time, not for a weight suppression, um, you know, goal or anything like that, but because... I want to I want to eat to the point where I have, you know, good energy and my digestion is good and I feel like, you know, my skin is glowing and all of these things that are markers of, you know, vitality and stuff for some people. It depends what you're going for, right? Not everybody. But at the same time, we're not there yet again, right? Like that's even way past the being able to listen to your body stage. So that's not something that we want to be going for at all. For most people at this point, if you're listening to this podcast, the only eating to 80% rule is just another diet rule that's really clouding your ability to recognize those hunger and fullness cues. Yeah. And so that's why we say like a lot of times when we hear the phrase, just listen to your body, to us, it almost feels like almost like a joke <laughs> and not in a mean way and not in a bad way, but more in like, a, we don't have the tools yet in order to do that. The same way the saying, oh, just run a mile. Like, oh, I might not have the training and the ability and the strength in order to do that yet or the endurance to do that yet. So again, that's also like equally a joke. I can't magically just go and do that. And as you know from 
me and Dana really are passionate about how these same things get deeply impacted by people who have chronic illnesses, right? So again, talking about this from a chronic illness perspective could probably be a whole other episode just around this. So if you want us to do something like that, we would happily do it. Message us, let us know, because we're like, we'll give you some, some insight here. It's really hard to quote unquote, just listen to your body when you feel like you're fighting against it. Whether that's from disordered eating, eating disorder, chronic dieting, or from chronic illness, right? That we've been doing elimination diets for a long period of time. We turn, when we're doing that, we're actually the idea behind elimination diets and behind chronic dieting and eating disorders is to turn away from what your body is telling you. So it's difficult to all of a sudden turn things back on and say, oh, I'm going to now listen to something that's been turned off for a really long time. So how are you supposed to listen to your body when you feel like it's rejecting food or it's causing you physical pain? We don't know what that looks like. And so that's why a lot of times people will jump to things like elimination diets and stuff like that that pull them further and further away from understanding what their body's asking for and what their body's needs are and learning and turn and learning and understanding where they might fall on their hunger and fullness scale. So saying to someone, just listen to your body is so much more complicated and not as, um, as Dana put it, which I think is so perfect, not base camp one. That's like base camp 30 <laughs> in my, in my, in my perspective, that's almost the end result of the work that has to happen while you're working through and kind of challenging whether it is your chronic illness, your chronic dieting, your eating disorder, or just disordered eating in general. Yeah. And one thing I want to clarify too, um, in case you know anyone is new to this podcast, when we talk about chronic illness, we're also talking about chronic symptom management. So just because you don't have a diagnosis of IBS or SIBO or irritable bowel disorder or an eating disorder or anything like that, it doesn't mean that you're not that your quality of life is not where you want it to be in terms of your symptoms, right? So for example, I work with a lot of people that have chronic GI issues but have never been diagnosed with anything, right? So I would say from our perspective, they fall into this category, right? So if you're dealing with persistent things, let's say, that are reducing your quality of life and let's say food impacts them, right? We are nutritionists here, right? So food is most likely a part of this. It's not everything though, reminder, right? You also fall into this category. And Christina, when you were talking, this also reminds me of when like saying – just listen to your body to someone who has any of these, you know, chronic diet or disordered eating, eating disorder, chronic illness, chronic symptom management type person. Saying just listen to your body to them is basically equivalent the equivalent of saying to a person who has depression, oh, just be happier. Like, you know, just just smile more. Or if you have anxiety, like, oh, just calm down. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I've never thought of that before. <laughs> like, no way, you know. So the next thing that we want to bring awareness to, and we know that also was like a little bit of a cliffhanger too, like, okay, well, how do we do this? And the reason we're not going into it is that could be like a whole hour, two, three long episode. And we have a couple of ideas for people that we'd like to interview on those topics as well. So um, 
definitely message us if you want us to do that. But so going to the next piece, this is learning to listen to your body's and your internal cues instead of external food rules and shoulds. Now, this is a distinction from listening to your body, right? So this is very different than, oh, just listen to your body. This is kind of a subset of that, but one way that you can get closer to being able to listen to your body's cues. And so this is distinguishing what is driving my food decisions. Are they coming from external sources? Are they coming from internal biological cues and cravings and wants and desires, right? What is influencing my decisions that I'm making around what foods that I'm eating, when I'm eating foods, how much I'm eating, what foods I feel like I should or shouldn't be eating. And one way that I like to describe this is, is your food decision highway clear of distractions or is it full of diet thought traffic, right? And if it's mostly clear of distractions, let's use an example. If you're mostly listening to your internal cues, there still might be instances of rubbernecking, right? Where it's like, ooh, New Year's is coming along and all of the traffic is slowing down because there's something new and shiny or like an accident or something on the side of the road. But if you're able to just reconnect to your internal cues instead of saying, ooh, I'm gonna grab onto that shiny thing, the traffic slows down, but you don't actually stop and pull over to go see, you just keep going. Whereas if everything is very clouded and you're being driven by external shoulds and rules and elimination protocols and everything you're in standstill traffic and we're not going anywhere yeah and so that's what's that's what we mean by like how it's different from just listening to your body it's more about thinking about what's what's um like really influencing but also at the same time challenging me from being able to hear what my body's asking is Am I not hearing certain things because I have all these elimination diets living in my mind and all the things that I've been told around what's good and what's not good? Or am I honoring what my body's desiring? And am I letting that happen? And even still, like an example, just Dana and I were preparing for this episode, I was talking, we were kind of talking and reflecting back on our own journey with symptom management and even chronic illness management around being gluten-free and how there's a difference. I had to, we had to be gluten-free because we both have celiac disease, but the way that I approached a gluten-free diet in the first period of my diagnosis was from the idea of, I'm not going to allow myself to have even gluten-free substitutes of things. Um, it had to be quote unquote clean. I'm only going to eat food that's naturally gluten-free, hasn't been altered, i.e. I'm not going to have bread. I'm not going to have gluten-free cookies or things like that. And that's a really great example of I, it's not a matter of my hunger and fullness cues, but what was influencing me around how I approached my meals, what I allowed into my home, and what kind of language and kind of shame-based thoughts was I having around what was deemed accessible, like not accessible, but acceptable for me to consume. And I think that's the distinction that we want you to think about. Are there rules that are kind of living in my mind that are that are keeping me from being able to honor what my body is asking for and craving? And am I turning against all of those things on a regular basis? And then two, and this leads into kind of like the next thing, what are those external rules and shoulds? How are they imp impacting the way that I'm then interacting with those foods when they are available, right? 
like that's like another big piece too is okay I feel out of control around sugar okay where does that come from where is that where is that where is this um this influence and where did this knowledge come from around oh I need to quote-unquote control myself and then how am I interacting with that food when it is available to me and so that's like part of this too which is totally different from how do I physically feel hunger and fullness wise versus how am I interacting with this food and what's making me make certain types of decisions around how I interact with it um and so that kind of leads into part of the idea around um, the next area that we want you guys to think about, and this is a big action step, is fulfilling your biological needs, right? And like kind of looking at that, right? And thinking, um, if you're feeling out of control around food, simply asking yourself, when was the last time I ate something? And um, this is especially prevalent for people who tend to feel scavengery around food or feel like maybe they binge. Um, um, I think those are the areas when even overeating, but not as much. Um, but if you're thinking about that on that spectrum, that's probably where we're falling in. And one of the ways that I describe this to, a, to clients of mine is through the concept of a hiking. So let's say you're going on a hike um, and you don't know, you don't have a map and you don't get to bring anything with you. You're just going on this hike and you don't know when the next available resource is going to be for food, water, whatever it is, your basic needs, right? If you're a client of mine, you're listening to this, your plant needs, <laughs> right? And I think we did an episode where we kind of talked about how we're complicated plants. Um, but this is like, imagine you're going on a hike and you don't know when that's coming, and then eventually you fall to a clearing and in that clearing, there's a table with food and water and all of the resources that you could, that you need. But beyond that, you have to continue your hike and you don't know when the next mile marker is going to be for when that's available. How do you think you're going to interact with that food? How do you think you're going to interact with that table? From a primal standpoint, it is natural and almost a reflex and uncontrollable to not gather and consume as much as available to you because you don't have a map for when it's going to be available to you next. And that is a big piece of versus if you were to go on a hike and you had mile markers, you had a map, you knew when things were going to be available to you and you got to the table and you knew on your map, oh, this is the food that I need to, to make me to the next five miles or the next three miles or whatever it is, you know, oh, I have this point of reference in mind. It's going to change and adapt the way that you're interacting with that food. There's going to be less scarcity, less um, out of control feelings because you're going to have the confidence for when it's going to be available to you next. And that is the big piece of fulfilling your biological needs. Am I eating consistently? Is food accessible to me on a regular basis? And if it's not, am I able to make it? And two, if it's not, what resources do I need in order to make sure that food is available to me? And so those are the big things that I, I want. One of the things, if you want to learn more about how the mechanisms fall into that and the biological needs, there's a really great section of um, Carolyn Donner's book in The Fuck It Diet. 
of where she speaks um, very poignantly around the feast or famine, and it really breaks it down perfectly. And so if you're identifying with the hiking analogy, highly recommend that you check out her book and read that first section. Um, it's really, really great and really helpful. And it kind of ensures, not ensures, but it reinforces this concept of the hiking analogy that, um, that I want you to think about. Um, so when you're feeling scavengery, when you're feeling out of control, simply, and I know this sounds shocking, like what? But simply asking yourself, when was the last time I ate something? And how has that impacted the way that I'm interacting with this meal at this time or this snack? So going off of this as well, I also do a lot of work with my clients and on Instagram and stuff around the nervous system, right? Adrenal fatigue girl over here. But when we're talking about food, and if you tend to be a person who is chronically in fight or flight, stressed, <laughs> right? dieting, having a chronic illness, like all of having a rocky relationship with food is also stressful to the nervous system. And one of the ways that we can, from a nervous system perspective, start to improve your relationship with food is to have consistent planned eating because it's reassuring to your nervous system. You're not stressed out. Oh my gosh, when's the next time I'm going to eat? When's the next time I'm going to eat? And this is also kind of talked about, but not from necessarily a nervous system perspective in the fuck it diet with talking about feast or famine, right? If you are a chronic dieter or if you're intermittent fasting, for example, and your body is now accustomed to, oh, we don't allow ourselves to eat when we are hungry, that also kicks in your cortisol. Your blood sugar is going to be all over the place. Oh my gosh, now I'm having cravings. Oh my God, no way. It's because you haven't eaten in a while, right? <laughs> Christina, what did you say before the podcast? <laughs> about oh God, like what was that? Eating is a natural cure for hunger, <laughs> something like that. If you're feeling out of control around food, ask yourself, when was the last time you ate? <laughs> I know. And it seems, it sounds like kind of condescending and it's not meant to be like, it's, it's actually, it's so simple, but we've been so con deeply conditioned to ignore that, that the most simple thing of asking yourself, when's the last time I ate feels revolutionary. That's the way we get back to listening to our body. Asking yourself, when was the last time I ate? Am I eating consistently throughout the day? Do I have food available to me to make it accessible so that it's easy for me to eat on a regular basis too? Talk about nervous system. Right, which is all very soothing to the nervous system and can help bring you down, especially if you're a person like me who constantly lives in what's called sympathetic overdrive, aka you are stressed all the time, right? And so... One of the th reasons why we love working on our relationship with food and our bodies is because we are clinical nutritionists as well, and this does play into our physiological symptoms. So one of thinking about one of the ways that you can have less nervous system, adrenals, thyroid, slash hormones is working on your relationship with food. Tool number one, consistent planned eating, which will make it easier for you to distinguish, talking about the earlier tools, right? Okay, if I'm having consistent planned eating, this is reassuring to my nervous system. I am therefore less stressed. I'm being nourished on a more regular basis. It's a lot easier to learn to listen to your body's internal cues rather than external shoulds. It's also a lot easier to learn to listen to your body's hunger and fullness cues because you get used to, okay, I typically eat around every X number 
of hours and I typically eat around this much and when I do that it allows me to be satiated for about this amount of time and that works with my work schedule or that works with my kids schedule or whatever and then you're not constantly worrying or thinking about oh my gosh when's the next time I'm going to eat if you eat breakfast and then you're like counting down until you get to eat your next snack or your next you know meal or whatever That's a stress on the body, which could be contributing to the symptoms that you're already having. Let's give a frame of reference so that people can execute this at home and start. Now, one of the things I will say about like, what does consistent mean, right? Um, What does that look like? Because our idea, again, of consistent might be skewed. Um, So what might that look like for you? And that might adapt over time and change and fluctuate, which is totally normal and and also can shift too based off of um, the the meal combination that you might be eating at each meal, right? That can influence that too. But one thing that I recommend to clients of mine to aim for is when they're starting off with consistent eating to make a range between every two to three and a half hours to have something, right? Whether that's um, your mate, your first meal, and then a snack, or your first meal, second meal, third, and then all the different things. So sometimes, in a, if we're starting out and we haven't been eating, you know, we've been eating pretty suppressed for a long time, that might become kind of shocking to you. You might say like, "Oh my gosh, I have no breakfast. Um, I have coffee, and sometimes like maybe maybe I have like a yogurt cup or something um, for breakfast, and that's all I have." And then I don't, I get into work mode and then I eat later at like 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock and then I eat dinner way later. You're way outside of that consistent eating time. By the time that 3 o'clock time frame comes from, a lot of people might start be, start feeling faint, um, dizzy, um, out of control, super hungry, kind of like all of a sudden I need to eat something immediately. You might start to feel that scavenger type eating type behavior come up, feeling a little more out of control around food. And so the antidote to that from a biological perspective, we haven't talked about the emotional piece yet. From a biological perspective is you need to eat more consistently. So am I, ask yourself, am I creating space in my day to provide myself with something every two, two, three and a half-ish hours to eat consistently. Am I doing that? If you're not doing that and you want to get out of this this pattern that we're in, try it. Try and see what happens. And I always, one of the things that I say to my clients too, because it can feel very nerve-wracking, challenging this because we're so used to being hungry and holding up and not eating is I always say to them, you can always go back. You can always go back to doing what you were doing. If like you feel, because a lot of times clients will feel like, well, if I make it available and I do that, I'm going to be out of control out of it. I'm going to be out of control around food all day. But try the mile markers. Try creating a map for yourself so that you know and your body can learn and you can start. your body can start to trust that food's going to be made available to you. Then you're going to start feeling your internal cues. Then you're going to understand what your what your body is saying to you is around what signals it's telling you for when you feel hungry and when you don't feel hungry. And really understanding and building this internal trust with your body that you're going to provide for it. Because right now, 
the way, the why we feel so out of control around food is because our body doesn't feel like we have its back. And that I'm sure Dana can go, I'm sure she's about to launch into the nervous system <laughs> any second now. So I'm going to let her have the floor. Well, I don't think we need to go too um, physiological here, but I also wanted to talk about how consistent eating in what the type that Christina is describing, you know, every two to three me every two to three meals, every two to three hours plan to have something, you know, this is very counter what a lot of the popular elimination diets will say, because they'll say stuff like, oh, your body needs time to do whatever, right? Fill in the blank. You've heard it. Your body needs time to clear the small intestine. Your body needs time to blah, blah, blah. You need to not snack because it throws off your blood sugar regulation. I've heard all of it, right? If you feel like you shouldn't be consistently eating because there was something external that was told to you, you're not listening to your internal cues, right? That's not a you thing. That's a them thing. Now, Here's the thing. You might figure out, like Christina said, after trying out this, you know, two to three hour thing for a while, you might find that that doesn't work for your schedule or you're just not hungry every two to three hours, even though you're getting, you know, enough nutrients or whatever in, let's say you have breakfast and then you have lunch four and a half hours later, woo, and then you have, you know, maybe a snack and then you have dinner and then maybe you have a snack later or something, you know, whatever it is. These are all tools, right? You have to find out by non-judgmental trial and error, which is the one that's going to work best in your toolbox, right? But the point that we always want to drive home is if you feel like you shouldn't be consistently eating because if your initial reaction is, oh my gosh, that's way too much food. Why do you feel that way? You know, not a like, oh my gosh, I'm so bad that I feel that way. Or like, it's more of a, I wonder where that's coming from. And then that's something that you can dig more into. So speaking of digging more into things, there's another big part of the Venn diagram to this, which is that we've been talking about biological needs, making sure you've been eating enough, you know, soothing your nervous system to build body trust and everything. Then there's also the emotional piece because we don't only eat for biological reasons. Duh. And we have talked about a lot of the time on this podcast how eating for emotional needs is not a bad thing. They are a signal that there is something deeper that is going on and it is an invitation to be like, huh, I wonder what's happening there. So when we're thinking about eating for different reasons other than physiological hunger or what I like to call preventative eating, which is if you're going to be traveling or if like for example, this weekend I was at a swim meet. I was doing what's called what I call like preventative eating. I would wake up in the morning at, you know, six o'clock. I don't typically eat breakfast that early, but I know that I'm going to be on deck at the swim meet from 7 a.m. until almost 9 p.m. There's no way that I'm not going to eat breakfast because as someone who can only eat gluten-free, there's not a lot of options for me at the meet. So there's going to be a long stretch of time where if I don't eat breakfast and if I don't bring snacks, there's nothing for me to eat right? So that's just one example. But then thinking about emotional, the emotional piece of this. There are many emotional reasons why we will eat. And we, when we, when we are thinking about the different reasons for which we want to eat or emotional reasons for why we don't want to eat or feel like we shouldn't be eating, here's an invitation to investigate and dig deep 
is there a deeper root cause? And instead of going into the modalities of how we fix that on this podcast, because we are not therapists, we're going to recommend, again, that you seek out professional help to see, you know, dig into that root cause. Where is this coming from? Is it something that's way deep in my childhood that I don't even know where it's coming from? Is it, you know, all of this intergenerational dieting trauma that you have that Bonnie Roney talked about in our episode a couple of weeks ago, you know? Is this something that is deeply embedded in my family and I just can't get out of this pattern? And giving yourself permission to ask, where is this coming from? And saying, I don't have to be, quote, sick enough to seek out help. Evaluate for yourself. Is food something that I seek when I'm having a difficult time or I'm really excited about something and that's my tool and my toolbox for how I handle uh, big emotions, you know? And where did that come from? And one of the things that I say, it's never a problem. It's a wonderful coping skill. And culturally, we love food for emotional reasons. People sit shiva for a reason and people bring them food. Um, and also, too, with um, with funerals and things like that, when there's hardships, we bring food to comfort. There's a reason why it's called that. One of the things that I like to think about, too, is, is to ask yourself, is this the only tool that I have in my tool belt? And to say, is this how I cope with things? And then say, where can I learn new coping skills? And that's with going to a therapist going to someone who can help you to be able to build new tools so that you can evaluate for yourself. Is this a tool I want to use or do I have other tools that I want to pull from in order to, to support me in this? Maybe it's no, maybe it's no, I want to use, I want to use my, I want to use food that's supportive and loving and comforting. And I like it. Sometimes I just want to have, you know, some, a delicious bowl of mac and cheese and my whole heart feels better, you know? Um, so I think that's something to, to look at it too and to think about it from that perspective can be really helpful and help you kind of guide you with giving yourself permission to, to seek support, right? And to get more tools in your toolbox. And speaking of permission, um, one of our last pieces here for, for working through, um, our relationship with food and am I overeating is the unconditional permission to eat. And I know this is really difficult for a lot of people and especially when it comes to foods that we have been so deeply ingrained to not eat um, and told those external cues that are really heavy on our hearts and like on our mind all the time is Proving to yourself that you have the unconditional permission to eat and to remind yourself when you are, if you find yourself in a place while you're practicing consistent planned eating, that you still feel out of control around certain types of foods, one, evaluate where is this coming from, from a non-judgmental place. What external language or value judgments have I learned about this food item? How is it impacting the way that I'm interacting with it? And then give yourself unconditional permission to eat it. And I know that sounds really scary. But when you're feeling out of control around that food, remind yourself, this food is always available to me. And I can have more later if I want to. And then prove it to yourself by continuing to have that food available 
to you? Because <laughs> if you, like Christina said, and I was just talking to a client about this the other day, is they were saying how like, you know, I'm, I've been really trying the unconditional permission to eat all foods and I've been buying foods and I've been eating foods that I haven't allowed myself in such a long time. But there's just a couple of foods that like I can't stop eating them. So then, and I feel like I shouldn't be eating this much of this food. So then I, then I go back and forth between like, well, maybe I shouldn't buy it at the store the next time that I go because then I won't feel so conflicted when I have it in the house. But then when I do have it in the house and it's like, okay, no, I need to prove it to myself. When I have it in the house, I just end up eating the whole thing because I don't want it to be in the house anymore and I don't want it to think about it. But then we're back at the grocery store and it's like, well, crap, do I need to buy more now? Like, how do I do this, right? And if this is a pattern that you feel like you have been stuck in with a certain food or different food groups or whatever it is, when that happens, my first thought is there's still some restriction there. Whether it's a physical restriction of you are not allowing yourself to have it or it's psychological of the shoulds are coming in. I shouldn't be eating this much of, a, of this food. I shouldn't buy it the next time, right? If you continue to keep restriction or dieting as an option in the back of your mind when you're trying to practice this unconditional permission to eat, you will continue to quote overeat or you will continue to binge on that food or you'll continue to have feelings of I need to eat all of this so I can get it out of the house and not think about it anymore. Even though that seems harsh, we want to try and think about this from a, again, compassionate, non-judgmental perspective, right? It's, oh, if I'm continuing to have these thoughts of, you know, maybe I'll go back to dieting, maybe I'll go back to restriction, or like, I shouldn't be eating this much of this food, that's a clue for you. It's, oh, I'm not there yet. I still need help on this journey. And of course, it's most of us in, you know, Western culture are very fix-it people. It's, I have a problem and this is uncomfortable and I don't want to feel uncomfortable, so I'm going to get it out of the house so I can fix it, the short-term solution. It makes sense why you want to go that way because we don't like feeling, no one likes feeling uncomfortable, especially around food or body image or anything like that. And of course, this is so comfortable, or this is so uncomfortable because it is so wrapped up in body image and weight and everything and all the connotations with that. But if you are feeling uncomfortable, that's a signal. Why am I feeling uncomfortable? Okay, if I'm feeling like, oh, it's, it's okay if I finish this because maybe one day I'll go back to dieting. That's a signal. What is holding me back from that unconditional permission to eat? Is it these external rules and shoulds? Is it something internally? Is it something that I've been, you know, so conditioned to believe that I just can't let go of it? Are there health conditions in your family? Or maybe you have something where you're like, but I really shouldn't be eating that much of that food. Or maybe you know, because you have an autoimmune disease and you know if you eat, you know, X amount of tomatoes or something like that, you're going to have a flare. That gives this a whole nother level of complication, which is where refer yourself out, right? Go see someone who specializes in this. And we know that this is like a very kind of small niche, right? This is why we try and bring this podcast to you every week because this is not something that's talked about a lot really at all. Um, so if you need help or if you even need a recommendation for, you know, someone to reach out to in your area or virtually or anything, we would be happy to help you with that. So our inbox is always open. One thing too in that challenge is um, the unconditional permission to eat is so hard. And in some ways, I feel like 
it really does come down to like gentle affirmation and reminders that can feel like you're faking it until you make it a little bit. <laughs> and I, I do think that that's like an, like almost like a piece of this puzzle too. And that's why I, I always encourage people to say this food is always available to me when you're in that in that chaotic mindset around a certain food and I can have more later if I want to, it can be so helpful in the moment because it just creates a momentary pause for you to briefly check in with yourself and then ask, why am I feeling out of control around this food? What messages have I been told about this? And how can I remind myself that this is available to me? I'm no longer on this diet. I don't have to follow that food value that's been passed down to me. I can make my own conscious choice around this. And it's really challenging and it can be, um, and I think too, one of the things too, it's not even just, this can happen sometimes when it when something's just not available to us that often too. And so to think about that too and seeing how that interacts with us, but we understand how complicated nuanced and challenging this is and we hope that today's episode has given you one more insight two some tools and three some much needed support and from people who who you listen to each week that are saying hey we get it we physically have been there um and these are the ways that you can support yourself while you're navigating something that's really difficult to navigate if this feels hard, it's because it is. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, that makes sense. You're not doing anything wrong because you're feeling uncomfortable. If you're feeling uncomfortable, you're probably doing this right. <laughs> yeah, if this exactly. feels easy, it might be a little bit of a false sense of security. If you have questions, comments, concerns, please reach out. I would love to have a ton of questions after this episode so that we can continue this conversation because I think it's a really important conversation. And I know as you're listening to this, there are questions. <laughs> there are heads nodding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are people saying, but what about, but what about, but what about? Right. So throw it our way, right? I mean, we want, we love answering your questions, right? This is something that we deal with all the time with our clients. And so we do have a listener questions episode that'll be coming out probably mid January. So Send us your questions. It can be on this episode. It can be on, you know, whatever you like. What's your favorite book lately? I will highly share that. So thank you guys. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. See you on the internet. <laughs> hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com, and we'll see you again here next week.